The next Brand Growth Heroes episode is coming right up. But before you listen, just a quick reminder. If you or anyone you know is the smart founder of a fast scaling consumer goods brand and you'd like to join a cohort of 10 other founders to really hone your growth strategy, then check out the Growth Strategy Program on fionafitzconsulting.com forward slash online courses. Next cohort starts June 1st and we're taking bookings now. Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. How do you grow a beverage business that only three and a half years old is described by The Grocer magazine as the brand that the traditional category brand leaders now have to challenge? Dash is a delicious range of canned, infused, sparkling water without any sugar or sweetener, made with wonky fruit and thereby saving hundreds of tonnes of food waste every year. Founded in 2017 by Alex Wright and Jack Scott, both originally from farming backgrounds, Dash is now available in 5,000 stores across the EU, including Sainsbury's, British Airways, Boots, Ocado and Amazon. It has a £10 million run rate and a 37% leading share of the category. Here's our episode where we talk about the importance of sustainability at the core of their business, how the founders drove awareness and trial from the ground up, and their recent launch into soda water, aka mixers. Alex and Jack, welcome to Brand Growth Heroes. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you guys doing? Very good. Thank you, Fiona. Very nice to see you. I hope you're very well. I am. I'm really well. It's a really sunny day here on the Isle of Man. Where are you guys today? We're currently in uh, central London in, in Soho. Okay. Uh, also, a lovely sunny day. It feels like spring is on the way, which is good news both for coming out of COVID, hopefully, but also it's a good time for selling soft drinks. So, <laughs> uh, a double bonus on that front, especially for the salespeople around. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, I would kill for one of your Dash cans right now. Of all of the samples and cans that have come into this house over the last 18 months, I have to say it has been one of the family's favourites. So thank you so much for that box you sent us a while back. So look, for those of our listeners who haven't come across Dash, somewhere else in the world maybe, or for those of us who haven't yet come across you, you know, describe to us what is Dash, what products do you have, where are you sold, where can people buy you? And let's set the scene for the rest of the interview. Sure. So Dash is a very simple product. We create it with what we say three simple ingredients, which is spring water, wonky fruit, and bubbles. <laughs> and it's crafted um, in the UK. Right. Packaged in a, in a can. It looks, looks a bit like that. Um, it's, a, it's an infused sparkling water without any sugar or sweetener. Okay. And we create it by taking surplus or wonky fruit and veg from farmers to pay a fair market to infuse it into the drinks. Five different flavours, retailed in about 5,000 stores, mainly in the UK, but also internationally to 20 different markets. Crikey. Retailers um, include British Airways, Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Boots, Costco. Uh, online, our web shop is, um, is, a, is a good place to keep it up as well. Um, so hopefully that's a, enough of a sales pitch. Yeah, fabulous. And tell us about this wonky fruit then. 
Jack, you talked to us about that. I mean, that's a fabulous proposition and really quite motivating uh, today. But particularly, I think, for any of us who don't want to be just drinking, you know, sugary products for the sake of it and want to be making a difference with our each of our consumption habits. There's nothing else out there in the soft drinks markets that makes that play. How did you come up with that and why? Yeah, so um, both uh, Alex and I are from, from farming backgrounds. So I come from an arable farm in Shropshire where um, we, we grow all sorts, including potatoes. Um, and it was actually when I was younger, um, I saw that there was a real issue with food waste in the UK. Um, an example of this is that we have a, a contract with McCain's um, for our potatoes. And me and my brothers, at the end of the summer holidays, when uh, my parents were getting a little bit bored of us, would have to spend our, our weeks potato grading. Um, and we... On the potato grain, McCain's would only take the perfect um, potato um, to use to make their chips. Um, and then all of the smaller ones or the misshapen ones or slightly green ones would, would go to animal feed. And I always thought that that was a huge waste of re- resource, time and money. So when Alex and I um, were discussing Dash and speaking with our farmers, we found out that there was this lower grade um, of fruit um, that was going to waste. And so all of the fruit that we use to um, infuse our drinks um, is this lower grade fruit that isn't accepted by supermarkets. That's amazing. So where do you buy that just out of interest? I mean, in terms of like procurement and supply chain, is there a market out there for wonky fruit or a dude you phone up to say, who's the wonky fruit dealer? Yeah, so when when we we, we actually went and spoke with individual farmers to begin with. So one of our first, one of the first flavors we launched with was cucumbers. So we went to the Lee Valley where most of the cucumbers in the UK are grown, which is just outside of London. And we, we spoke with the farmers there um, and we built up relationships with them directly. Um, and cucumbers are graded. Um, the ones that are overweight or grown in a funny way or have slight blemishes, we can then obviously use to, to use our, our drinks with. And then that goes to a boutique flavour house where they met, make the, the concentrate or extract okay. that we put into our drinks. Okay, amazing. So from the very beginning, when you kind of conceived the idea of Dash, this was kind of central to your proposition. Exactly. It was there from the very beginning. Um, and it's something that we're extremely proud of. Obviously, your product needs to shine by itself, but this is a really important layer to the brand um, and is something that is integral, basically. To so what kind of feedback did you get from buyers in retail, grocery retail at the beginning? Talk us through the phases of your growth. Has it been, you know, through grocery or through D2C or how has it worked? Yeah, so to begin with, um, Alex and I made it our mission to make sure that Dash was in the best independence in London. So that might have been um, speciality stores, coffee shops, gyms, um, delis, um, and then your uh, Whole Foods, Planet Organics of the world. And we we wanted to build the brand equity um, in those um, individual stores. Um, That was how we started. And did you get really positive feedback? Sorry, Alex, what were you going to say? On the, you mentioned how did buyers react yeah. inside at first. The, the buyers, when we came along with the product for the first time, and Dash is not sweet, it's an unsweet flavoured water, 
And there wasn't anything else like it in the UK market. Alongside that, we were infusing it with wonky fruit and veg. So when we first went to a lot of the retail buyers, we said, this is a new drink. We think it tastes delicious. It doesn't, it doesn't have any sweetener. And they thought, they tried it, and they thought, okay, well, that's a bit weird. No one's going to drink it because it's not sweet. And then we said, by the way, it's infused with wonky fruit and veg. And they said, you know, what the hell is that? Get out of the room. So <laughs> at first, there were a lot of people that just didn't get the proposition whatsoever. So just, just genuinely, did you have meetings where you were left cold at the beginning? We had a countless meetings. Okay. Where nobody had a clue what we were trying to do. So how did you feel? Uh, well, pretty, pretty disheartened. But you've got to, you know, it's one of our values of Dash is to be tenacious. Right. You've got to keep on going and um, overcome these obstacles at the beginning because we've, we've, the category had very good proof of concepts, especially in the US. Mm-hmm. $8.6 billion category over there in retail sales. Wow. And so very good proof of concept there. So it was only a matter of time until it, was, it would hit the UK with the macro trend of 71% of consumers being worried about sugar and soft drinks. 44% of consumers being concerned about sweetener in products as well. Yeah. But that was all going in our direction. It was a matter of time until the category hit and people would understand the wonky side as well. Okay. So was there a tipping point then? Did it take like one buyer to say yes and to get one listing for everybody else to kind of go, okay, well, if they've got it, then, you know, I'm starting to see that there is something in this. What was that moment? Yeah. So for us, we had a few big, we, we launched with Selfridges. So that's always, um, you know, a fantastic stockist to, to begin with in regards to the PR. And then we we also launched um, a couple of weeks later with Planet Organic, which Alex and I are just massive fans of um, being sort of, you know, food and beverage nuts. And we always spend our time in those stores looking at new products that we're launching and they're fine. Um, and so we were, you know, once you've got a few listings like Plant Organic, Dale's Food, Whole Foods, um, you can start to, you know, really build some momentum and sure. go to other places and, you know, um, talk about those listings and how it's selling in, the, in those places. But we spent a lot of the, uh, before we launched, we did a lot of sampling within parks. So that would be taking big vats of water, putting our fruit in there overnight, cooling it down, putting it in a carbonator, and then sampling that to to people in parks in London. Wow. Yeah. So that was that was amazing feedback. And people were saying this is some really refreshing, natural, all of the things that Alex and I thought were um, we believed in, in the product. And they they were reiterating those. So you really, from a marketing point of view, in terms of driving awareness and engagement, you really started from the ground up. Yeah, exactly. Um, sampling in store was a big part of that. So Alex and I would be sampling every day, whether it was in Selfridges, Planet Organic or Whole Foods. My God. Getting proper feedback. So what year was this now when all of this was happening, the first few launches and when you guys are still out sampling and stuff? Uh, that was the summer of 2017. So not that long ago. No, exactly. And we're, we're about three and a half years old now as a, as a business. So fast forward to now, what was the shape of the business in terms of retail versus D2C, particularly over after the lockdown period, you know, after the last year we've had, what does your business look like in terms of channel breakdown? So in terms of the channel breakdown pre-COVID, we had 60% of our volume that 
was going through food service, impulse out of home, um, also with the entrees and exports. So 60% of our volume was going through those channels. And obviously overnight, that went into hibernation mode. Wow. So there were a few squeaky bum weeks where we were constantly doing reforecasts upon reforecasts. But um, I think it's really credit to the team of being absolutely fantastic as being like chameleons to shift from concentrating previously selling into pubs, bars and restaurants or offices to then really concentrating in value-added parts of the business where we could generate sales or do other projects that we've been meaning to do for a long time just haven't had the time. Yeah. So really concentrating online. So we've always been traditionally very strong as a direct-to-consumer business, um, and I think we'll come on to that a little bit in a sec, so I won't go into it now, but sure. D2C. Um, and then the other side is we've been, we spent about well, a year and a half before COVID looking into and working our way to becoming a B Corp. It was also a great period where we were able to really knuckle down and put a lot of focus into getting that over the line because it just takes a long time. Um, and other things like, for us, it's really important to have and to be very transparent with the way that we produce the products. So we worked in partnered with a, a business called Carbon Cloud. And Carbon Clouds are extremely good at measuring one's CO2 output per product. So with, with, with Dash, it has a very low carbon output, but we want to try and make sure we can get better and better with that. One of the key things was e-commerce. And you know, I find it myself when I have lots of e-commerce deliveries coming usually via white vans that are pretty diesel hungry. And so one thing that we changed from looking into our carbon output was making sure that all our e-commerce deliveries are carbon neutral. Okay. So therefore we partner with a a business called Trees for Cities and have offset the carbon emissions from our e-commerce business. Um, so a few different projects that we did in order to make sure that you know, we're able to grow and develop as a business um, and also concentrate on the channels where we're still going to be able to get sales. And talk to us about that, Jack, because you're highly involved, aren't you, in the D2C side of the business or the e-commerce side of the business even. Talk to us a little bit. How do you manage that? Do you have people working with you on a team? And what are the main focuses for you guys? Yeah. So as Alex says, that D2C has always been a big focus for us at Dash. I think there's a couple of things that inspired that and why we believe Dash could become a truly e-commerce business. From day one, we started selling lots of drinks through Amazon. So there was, it was clear that consumers were looking to buy heavy products um, and drinks through Amazon, um, even though that it was, you couldn't, from the outset, you know, that wasn't necessarily a trend, but we saw um, a lot of people purchasing our product on Amazon. The second is that we have, obviously, like, like lots of brands, we have um, other brands that we admire. Um, and there's a couple of um, brands in the US that have successfully built uh, D2C businesses in the sparkling water category. Right. So we knew that a, a large proportion of their sales mix was coming through D2C. Um, and so we knew that there was a great opportunity. So when we started, we set it up um, to become, you know, become a proper e-commerce business. So yeah, it was a very conscious decision and core part of your strategy from day one. 
Yeah, exactly. So when COVID hit, we were in a fantastic position um, to really capitalize on the sort of the macro trends. So whether it was the cheap Facebook advertising and our cost per acquisition came shooting down, we had a great um, performance marketing agency that were doing great stuff. Um, we had good relationships with influencers. We had a website that was built um, for mobile um, and that three-click um, checkout. So all of those, wow. the, all the, the nuts and the bolts and the foundations of what were there. And then we were able to really capitalize as a business um, online over the last year. Rich Goldsmith in our last interview talks about, um, well, it'll be last before one, last but one by the time this interview comes out. But Rich talked about um, of Moji Drinks. He talks about the leaky bucket, you know, fixing the leaky bucket of e-commerce before you actually go spending money on it. So it sounds like you had all of that sorted and you'd made all those learnings and fixed all those holes. And three click checkout, that's amazing. Uh, Certainly something that really bothers me when I'm buying online, having to go through all the jigs and the reels, as we say back home, before you actually can confirm to get your product. So you talked about having a performance marketing agency. Do you have that in-house or how do you resource up a team? The reason I ask this is because I know a lot of the scaling brands out there are struggling or sitting themselves with their Amazon store or their own Shopify website. And they're thinking, you know, this is it. This is what I'm doing. I can do this. But it's a struggle. It's hard work. And there's so much that they don't know they don't know, you know, in that Jahari window. Or they know that they don't know, even in that quadrant as well. At what point did you start bringing people into your team who knew more than you do about e-commerce? Yeah, it's a good question. And we're certainly no experts. Um, We've, like everyone else, have have seen a massive shift to online. Um, We were in a a relatively good position when it all happened, so that helped. Um, In regards to the team, um, we still outsource um, quite a lot of of various bits for the the e-commerce channel. However, we have um, just bought in um, Holly from HelloFresh, who is head of performance marketing there. Um, to to head up our e-commerce and she started in in November and you know we really you know we've invested heavily in the e-commerce and really do see it as a channel that um, we can capitalize on going forward and we're hopeful for this year that it will be you know 35% of totals. So quite a significant hire then somebody to head up performance marketing who's had a really strong background with an e-commerce company and yeah that's what I was hoping you'd say something like that you know because just trying to share with the listeners out there who might be in a similar position. You know, it's really important, isn't it, to recognise when the time is right. And then recruitment takes time, doesn't it? You know, by the time you realise that you need somebody to the time you find the right person, and you do all the interviews and they've got their notice period to work out. It can be three, six, nine months. And sometimes that's too late. So yeah, good for you. Okay, so you're hoping it will be, you said, sorry, 35% of all sales by the end of this year, is it? Exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. In terms of value, yeah. So, and the way the way in which we're different, or the way in which we believe that it can become, we have a subscribe and save model, um, which is we're starting to build up um, a decent amount of um, subscri- subscribers, um, and that's basically offering people the opportunity to get a reduced price and get it delivered frequently. So whether it's biweekly, monthly. Um, and that's been a, a huge success for us. And the signs are good that we can have 
it's a subscription style product. Okay. Um, it's unlike, I suppose, like an energy drink or, you know, a Diet Coke. You wouldn't necessarily buy it on subscription. Um, Dash, for instance, you can have four or five a day um, because it doesn't have any sugar or sweetener. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So you can just stack up, you know, your fridge. Yeah. And- you don't have to feel guilty about it. That's fabulous. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, then please do share it on social media and take a minute or two to write a review on iTunes. It would make a big difference in allowing us to interview even more super guests with great advice that can transform how you do business. So the special projects that you had time to work on over the last year, Alex, you mentioned to me in in one of our prep calls that you were able to work on a fabulous NPD project. And I believe that's just gone live recently, hasn't it? It's gone live recently, yes. It's a... Uh, a soda water, which is made for mixing. And the, the way that this came around is that with our web shop customers, we were able to have a, a really close communication flow. So we sent out a survey, 2,000 people wrote back, and 47% of those said that they used Dash, Dash Water Range as a mixer. Wow. And I personally have mixed with it before, but I don't regularly mix with it. Were you surprised? Very surprised, yeah. Yeah, the, the quantity of, of people, very surprised. Um, however, our, our previous sparkling water range, not perfect for mixing for a few reasons. So the first is that um, the can is too big. It's 330 ml. Um, so by the time you pour a glass, then you've got a bit left over in the can. The second is that the flavours aren't made for mixing. They're very good, they're perfect on their own, uh, but they're, they're not perfect when they are uh, blended with spirits. And the, they're not strong enough, are they? Because I did it and it just watered down my vodka. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the third thing is that the bubbles aren't strong enough, so when you pour it over ice, then the bubbles dissipate. Ah. So this new range, which is three flavours, which is the lime garden mint, very good with vodka. There's the rhubarb and fiery ginger, which is superb with gin. And then there's also the bitter orange and grapefruit, which is very good with tequila. So um, these are three di- three different uh, skews. And they launched last week. Um, and we've got some very good launch part that are teed up for them as well. So it's a completely new category for us, which is really exciting. You know, previously, if we bring out a new flavor for our sparkling water range, then it will cannibalize our existing flavors to an extent. What we're excited about with this is um, giving you a fresh perspective to the mixing category that previously has been filled with sugary and artificially filled mixers. And this is, this is pretty different. I have to say, I'm looking forward to trying it because whenever I buy um, mixers, Fever Tree, you know, I love, I do love drinking their products as a soft drink sometimes in the evening, say if I'm off the booze. But then I decided, right, well, I'll buy the sugar-free version and because obviously you don't want to be just knocking back a whole load of sugar and it's just full of sweetener. I was so disappointed. I was so disappointed because I just do not like the taste of aspartame at all or any of them that can't even pronounce the other one, the K, whatever it is. Um, so I'm really looking forward to trying yours because I do want a mixer that doesn't have, that has that bite of the soda water, but doesn't have any sweetener. I have a question for you in terms of bite. So you've got the bite of the soda water and then you've got the bite of the extra bubbles or extra big bubbles. How do you engineer bubbles? 
So, yeah, two things with the bicarbonate. The first is that uh, as a soda water, it's got, bicarb- uh, so it's got sodium bicarbonate, which is, which is the salts, and all soda waters have it, and that means it marries very well with, with the spirit. The second thing is the bubbles, and that is a relatively simple, or it should be a simple process. <laughs> Albeit we had a bit of um, trouble with our first production run with it, um, where you simply you, you dial up the amount of bubbles and carbonation CO2 that goes into there, there, there is a limit. Um, so there's a bit of backwards and forth with what one can and can't do. We had a bit of a few popping cans on the first run. Oh, God. <laughs> we were trying to be right on that level. Okay. Made a maximum. Just too could, much. And they all started popping. Oh, like shit. 3,000 cans. Where were they popping? In the warehouse or in the... Yeah, exactly. Um, on the production line. Oh, God. Disaster. At least it's only water. It's not sticky, I'm sure, with the washdown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay. Amazing. So that's out there now. Is this just online or in store or... Online, uh, on, on our website, in stores. Um, so... Yeah, we'll have to get some to you. Like I'd love some. I really would. I'd love some. And my kids would love some of your original range as well, because they are massive fans. <laughs> so I keep trying to push you on emails and calls to give me, you know, kind of run rates and sizes. And you're very coy, like all of today's fabulous insurgent brands on giving numbers, you know. And I always joke with some of the more oldies in the food industry, because we just never were shy, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even about giving numbers because they're all available on Kantar anyway. But you guys, that's fine. Whereabouts are you? Give us some kind of range in terms of market sales or share or something, you know, make our listeners dream in terms of where you've got to. <laughs> in terms of where, we, where we've got to this year, sell uh, about 11, 12 million cans. Um, in terms of retail sales, it's a 10 million pounds uh, run rate. Amazing. In terms of the category, so our our category grew 176% in the last 12 months. Yeah. Within that category, Dash is a lead 37% share of the value sales. Well, congratulations, guys. Congratulations. Pretty cool. What do your family think of all of this? What do both of your families think of all of this? Uh, still don't really believe me when I say we're going to sell to 12 million cans this year. <laughs> they'll, they'll get around to it, don't worry. Yeah, there was a great article grocer last week that says um, Highland Spring um, is challenging Dash. Wow. Thought that, that was, it, it was quite um, in, our, in our category. Um, so things like that make it, you know, really hit home that, you know, it's such a great job that, you know, we've done, the team has done over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, my parents, they've been so supportive, obviously, from, from the very beginning. I remember when I first told my dad that, um, going to create a soft drink you know you would you'd normally think that your parents would try and put you off but you sort of like right well that sounds that sounds great um so they've just been unbelievable and they're both just massive dash drinkers so my mum used to drink dark coke um and now i get a a, a whatsapp every month being like where's my lemon dash (laughs) my dad used to drink a a beer or two in the evening and now has his black currant dash so both completely obsessed with the product and have an understanding of you know why other people also like oh that's lovely that's really lovely so what about the future then alex what's next for dash um a lot long-term plan so our, our key objective is by 2025 we want to have infused 2600 tons of 
surplus fruit and veg. So this year we will infuse about 300 tonnes. So we've got quite a long way to go, but obviously being quite ambitious. But you're saving that. That would be normally food wastage, wouldn't it? So all of the fruit and veg that we use is surplus, wonky, and we buy that directly from the farmers. Um, in terms of where we're going with the category, so as I say, um, in 2017, the category started. Um, across Europe, it's a completely blank slate. So it's a very competitive category here in the UK. There are lots of great brands doing very good things. But when we look across the channel, it's, it's, a, it's a completely blank slate. So we see a lot of late room to be able to into the rest of Europe. So what that means though, I imagine, is you're at that point now where building your team is going to be really, really key and a lot more on recruitment and managing people and leadership and values and all that kind of stuff. You two are young guys. That's a huge undertaking, isn't it? It is. But um, I think first and foremost, you mentioned making sure that the foundations are right. So we just want a big brand strategy piece. And we have got our brand Bible with our brand values that okay. we live and die by every day. So the foundations have been set. Yeah. The team that we spoke about earlier have all been absolutely brilliant, especially over the last COVID 12 months, which has been pretty tricky. We haven't needed to put anyone on furlough. Um, we've doubled the business in that time and everyone has been an absolute superstar. Um, so we're pretty confident with the team set up and then going forward we've got some fantastic investors who really back us and are able to steer the business um, and you know, they in the past have gone through similar journeys um, and we use them as, as mentors uh, along the way. And just on that because I know we're, we're running out of time now but in terms of any advice you'd give to companies who are scaling quickly and looking at investors how important has it been for you that your investors understood the industry in which you're in? Has it been important or not? Yes and no. I think it's important to get a balance of investors that do know the industry and are able to add value by opening doors to retailers, to export distributors. Um, yes, it's good to get industry experts, but also getting some outside opinions too. On our board, we have a mix of people who are in the industry and not in the industry. And it's great having that, that blend because you suddenly just get fresh ideas of what other industries are doing and it's not a funnel vision the whole time. Okay. Well, that's brilliant advice. Brilliant advice. So listen, look, thank you both so much for coming on and sharing all of that today. Really excited to try your new, what, what is it? Soda water mixer? What do you call it? Flavoured soda water. Flavoured soda water. Brilliant. And yeah, I mean, very exciting. I, you've got an amazing path ahead of you. Well done for getting to where you've got to so far. It's really inspiring. And thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Thanks for having us on. Great Thanks, Sharon. Sharon. Uh, good to see you. It's been brilliant. Lovely to see you guys. Bye-bye. Oh, well, bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.